The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. Taping this on a rainy Wednesday here in Southern California. I think it's running Thursday. Uh, We have not talked college football all year on the BS Report, and there's a reason for that. I don't really watch college football, but Chuck Klosterman does. How are you? Good. It's raining uh, here, too. What? Oh, it's raining, it's kind of in raining here too. Maybe it's raining over the whole country. Mm. So I did watch some college football on Saturday. You did. Go on little, you watch? little spurts. I watched Florida and Florida State, and mm. uh, it just was just quarterbacks aimlessly throwing the ball to the other team or or to the ground or over people's heads. And it reminded me why I didn't watch college football that much. Uh, defend college football again, just just so I remember why we're having this. Um, well. It's about twice as interesting as NFL football. Okay, the games matter more. Um, it uh, it it where the NFL, you know, it's like I watch all those games too. I you I don't ever want to position myself as someone who hates the NFL. I watch it every week. But the thing is, the NFL is kind of the same game all the time, with just different pieces moved in and out. College football is authentically different. All the conferences play different styles. Uh, you you just. I just think it's so much more interesting. And also, it just always feels weird to me to be watching, like, full-on millionaire adults playing a game. It seems like that makes more sense to watch a 20-year-old kid doing it for some reason. I know that's not totally rational, but it always seems strange to watch adults playing football or any sport. And And you're also a sports agnostic. You don't have a favorite NFL team. College, you just jump around. To teams that fascinate you, we've well, covered this before. In yeah, the well, I, in, in every game I watch, I'm rooting for someone, and there's definitely teams I traditionally root for, both in the pro ranks and the college ranks. But uh, but I, it's not that like I'm going to root for a team regardless of who's on it or what they're doing. Right. You don't root for laundry. No. Who is your Who is your uh, team of favor in college this year? Mm, you know I. Uh, I like Auburn a lot. I like uh, I like Oregon. Um, you know, I always kind of root for Notre Dame. I always root for Clemson. Um, I I always root for all the teams who wear orange. That's one weird thing about me. I guess it really contradicts the laundry thing. Pretty much any program that orange is their primary color, I'm interested in. Um, wow. Yeah. So if I'm kind of like Prince, but with orange. So when the Broncos wear orange, you just start subconsciously rooting for them in, in the well, NFL. The Broncos are my favorite AFC team. Yeah, this is really interesting. So when the Cavs break out their old retro orange ones, you're in. Basketball doesn't matter. Okay. So the, the uniform thing only matters in football to me. Well, one of the things we want to talk about today is they're doing this college playoff uh basically a top four, which I think is cool. I'm actually into this. I don't, I don't really care about college football that much, but I'm totally I mean, into I can the almost, top I can four. I almost sense the disdain in your voice talking about this. No, no, I'm in. I'm in for the final four. <laughs> I like the four. The thing is, I, the reason I didn't like college football, other than the fact that I didn't have a favorite college team, was I, it just seems so arbitrary that just people voted on who the best team was at the end of the year. I, I like winners and losers. You that's do. what I enjoy. Yeah, that's what I enjoy about sports. I like when somebody wins and somebody loses. This is why, you know, like youth sports drive me nuts, where like you have these under six soccer games where they're not even keeping score. 
what, what kind of lesson is that? Score in the college football game. They just previously it was an argument over who was the best team, uh, which is for me is never as big a deal. Um, although I will say this, I was a little bit skeptical going into this playoff system, but it's turned out great. It has made the season slightly more interesting than a usual year because the fear going in was that it was going to somehow um, kind of negate the meaning of these early games or these mid-season games. But what ended up happening is in the Southeastern Conference, uh, every game still matters in the same way it always did. Every loss seems like it could take someone out of the whole contention, even though um, all the best teams are down there. Where in the rest of the country, um, there was always this idea now with one loss, somehow maybe you could still you know, be playing for something meaningful in November. So it actually just sort of extended the importance of the regular season from the previous model. Yeah. Well, right now you have Alabama and Oregon. If TCU jumped to number three, and then the uh, controversial polarizing Florida State team still at number four, is that going to be the final four for us? Well, Florida State is almost certainly the worst undefeated defending champion I can remember in that they've had, I would say eight games they could have lost and four, they really should have lost. They should have lost to Clemson. They could have lost to Notre Dame, depending on one call. They should have lost to Miami. They should have lost to Boston college. They really should have lost to Louisville. It's, it's bizarre how they've, so one of two things is happening. Either they actually are, the best team can just turn it on whenever they need to, even though that's never seemed to work in the history of anything. Um, Or by chance, they've managed to win all these games and are going to be an extremely weak undefeated team in this playoff. Um, They played Georgia tech this weekend because Georgia tech runs the option. They're a difficult team for anyone to play. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of interest in that game in the same way there was when FSU played Florida because the kind of the, Conventional wisdom was that Florida was going to win this game. I think a lot of people thought that, um, but then they, you know, they didn't. Um, and now I think that kind of rolls over into this ACC championship game. Um, obviously, if they win, they're in because they're the only undefeated team. Well, the Queen of Grantland, Marilee Rubin, believes that Georgia Tech is a lock to beat Florida State this weekend. Not quite a lock. I'm putting words. Well, you're talking lock, about gambling wise, because all the, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a gambler, but like okay. all the gamblers I know, or should I say, all the gamblers I see on Twitter seem to be talking about how Georgia Tech always covers, and that they're so, so yeah, they're four point underdogs. Mm-hmm. She thinks they win outright. She thinks Florida well, State. It ends this weekend for Florida State. If they lose, then what happens? Well, if they lose, they're obviously out. Um, that would probably um, open the door for Ohio State if they win. Um, Ohio State's kind of an interesting situation. Uh, they lost their quarterback at the beginning of the year, who was supposed to be a Heisman candidate. They replaced him with this redshirt freshman. That guy is awesome, better than the, the first guy, Braxton Miller. The new guy's better. Um, but now he broke his ankle last week. So now the question is becoming whether or not Ohio State will be penalized by the committee uh, for having to play essentially their third-string quarterback for the rest of the year. Oh, this is interesting. So the committee can kind of weigh injuries and things like that? I like it. Well, okay, here's, this is 
why this is one thing you really missed out on, Bill. The, this yeah. committee thing has been great. Okay, every Tuesday night, there's the show on ESPN 7 where they announce the new rankings. Um, the disappointment is they take it so seriously that no one talks except for the head of the, like, the, the, the commission, like just, just Jeff Long guy, uh, the Arkansas AD. It's been a little disappointing because this is clearly the job they should have gave to Condoleezza Rice. I would have loved to see her on TV every Tuesday night giving this like this kind of even-handed sort of kind of wishy-washy description of what they're thinking about. She's kind of that interesting voice. I just think that would be such a missed opportunity. Um, mm. But you, you notice you don't see anybody else on the committee giving interviews anywhere. It's like this guy long gets to give the, just the you know, the, the, gets to just kind of give the message. Okay. So every week it's slightly different. Like, here's the most interesting thing, okay? TCU is ranked three. Baylor is ranked six. Both of these teams are 10 and one, but they played each other head to head, and Baylor won 61 what? to 58. Okay, well, here, let me describe this, okay? So Baylor beats at TCU 61 58. But if you watch the game, it almost becomes a non factor. If the game had been 58 minutes long, TCU wins. If the game had been 62 minutes long, TCU wins. But the game is 60 minutes long, so, you know, so Baylor won. If it had been 65 minutes, Baylor would win again. Now, granted, yes, football games are 60 minutes, so that's the parameters we have to use. But neither team could stop each other down the stretch. They could just move the ball kind of at will. In a way, kind of reflects badly on both of those teams. But nonetheless, yeah. they basically have looked at that game and decided it was a tie. Because for all practical purposes, for all meaningful purposes, for all uh, subjective purposes, it was. Objectively, Baylor won, but subjectively, it was a tie. So TCU has also beaten Minnesota, um, which ended up having a very good year in the Big Ten. And Baylor's non-conference schedule was the worst. So the view now is that TCU is better than Baylor, even though the objective evidence suggests otherwise. But everybody who follows college football kind of agrees and kind of wants TCU to be in this. That's interesting. So who's on this 12-man committee? Well, okay. Like, like why are you right? on it? Well, that, be would be, it? that would be my dream. Um, right. Like, uh, it's, you know, like Tom Osborne is on it. Condoleezza is on it. Um, like I said, the AD from Arkansas heads it up. Um, there, uh, I, I believe Pat Hayden is on it or was on it and had to step off for some reason. I'm not exactly sure what they um, – it's it's like uh, basically a bunch of old white guys and kind of Lisa Rice, to be honest. And they all seem to be, uh, I don't know, the kind of uh, the kind of objective people you hope are on this. But of course, uh, we don't know because we. It's, it's also they fly them all into the same location every week to meet about this. Like there's not, I I don't think it's like they fly them all to Houston or something. Uh, they don't get, they don't communicate in any other way. It's all like in the room together. Um, and the other thing that, that is, is interesting about this is they rank the whole top 25. So if it was, if they had just, if they were just giving like the top four teams, we'd be like, well, okay, this is who they think is the best. But because you can look through the whole list, you kind of get a sense of what, they are prioritizing. Um, and it is confusing. Like, they're not doing a perfect job, but they're doing an interesting job. And the fact that it gets released every week has been very entertaining. So it sounds like there were two 
two misfires here. The committee could have gone in one or two directions. They could have made it a lot more eclectic and put like a couple writers on it and a, a TV person and somebody like you and just had like a real hodgepodge group that kind of reflected all types of college football people. Or they could have done it the way we do our jury system in America, where it's only people who know nothing about what's going on. Right. You know, like in a, like so a, like, like in the OJ trial, who don't, who don't even follow college football. <laughs> it literally, they have no. They have no. They don't watch games. They don't know what's going on, and then they have to get thrown in because that's how we do our jury system. Well, yeah, it's but then like that, the, that would mean like so. Would they? Would these people then be sequestered and like they would only watch college football while they're sequestered, or would they have like yeah. a like? Yeah, well, that that would have been an interesting thing. So they, they couldn't. Well, like, even, I would have been. I would have been good for that committee because I don't watch college football, so I'm coming into a completely unencumbered. Yeah, but that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting way to argue that you're in a good position to make the call. <laughs> yeah. you know the I have decisions. no biases. I have no history. I'm just sitting there and I'm like, hey, TCU seems better. They're my fourth pick. But I do like you should be on this committee. That would be and, and it seems like they could blow it out and make it like a more of a reality show and a little less serious. Like ultimately, uh, no, why no, does no, it no. have to be that, so serious? That's what you would do. That's what you would do if, it was, if this was a professional thing. You would just com- com- completely concede everything to the possible entertainment value. They're actually trying to do this and get the four best teams, but it leads to a lot of, of you know, okay, like here's okay, Arizona is number seven. Okay, they're ten and two. They started the year undefeated and then they lost some games. Now they've beaten Oregon, and they play Oregon now in the Pac-12 championship this Friday night. Well, if Arizona wins that game, they'll almost certainly jump into the top four, even though they're currently seven and behind Baylor and Ohio state. But hmm. that's just, you know, cause it's the, 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 the committee's argument always seems to be that these rankings are totally temporary. They're only the present tense in the moment. Um, like Mississippi state right now, they were number four last week. Okay. They got beat by old miss, which is interesting because that was a game at old miss where once again, kind of like the Florida um, Florida State game, although this time kind of the people were right, there seemed to be this belief that Old Miss is probably going to win this game. Old Miss has three losses. At one point, they were undefeated and looked like they could be a championship team, but they have some injuries, but they're playing the Egg Bowl at home the whole season. They're probably going to win. They win by seven. Okay, So they're ranked number 12 now. So Mississippi State at 10, I would think, is – pretty clearly better than one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the teams in front of them. But they seem out now because they don't have a game this weekend. They're not in the SEC championship. Um, and they're just, gonna, they're just kind of stuck there. Now, if it was an eight-team playoff, I suspect the committee would have them at eight because they don't got to worry about that. They just kind of dropped them to 10. I'm looking up. I just looked up as you were talking, who won the last few years in college and Alabama won an 09, 11 and 12 in their favorite to win this year. Mm-hmm. If they win four and six years, is that a dynasty to you? They have a dynasty right now, right now. Saban has a dynasty as it is. If they lose this year, because the so thing th- is, three titles like, makes a dynasty for you. Three titles. And the, the, the fact that, and this is something like, okay, this will this will seem, you know, okay, I'll put it in maybe in terms that you will immediately relate to, okay? You know, like, so Zach Lowe wrote that piece about how 
you know, the, the West is kind of almost too strong now in the NBA. And we've got to consider moving teams into the East. Yep. Okay. Um, the Western division of the SEC is better than the rest of college football than the NBA West is than the East. The fifth team in the SEC West is Texas A&M. If they're in the Pac-12, they quite possibly win. If they're in the Pac-12 South, they definitely win that division and play Oregon in this championship. So when you watch Alabama, you know, Alabama has to play a tougher schedule than, you know, uh, every year than Florida State or any of these other schools, you know, Ohio State, Notre Dame or whatever. They probably play more tough games in one year than those schools play in three years. So just getting out of that sort of that division is almost an achievement in itself. So, so that's why it seems like a dynasty. So you're saying ESPN launching the SEC network was probably a smart move. Well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's great having this one conference that's so much better than everything else. I mean, you know, the, the SEC East seems like a considerable drop off. And even those teams like Georgia and Florida in the normal year are like these elite programs. Um, now, Chris Fowler has claimed that the best thing for, from ESPN's perspective would be if a team from the Big Ten did well in this playoff. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe I'm not sure what the logic is, but I don't really disagree with that. Maybe that would be more interesting or, and maybe have more national interest. Because certainly the consensus now is that if there's only one SEC team in this playoff, whoever it is, they will win the championship. It would be pretty surprising if anyone else did. How many how many SEC teams are there? Ten or twelve? In the SEC? Yeah. Uh, I think that there's six in the West and six in the East. What would happen if the SEC just seceded from the NCAA? Mm. And just came up with their own rules and they paid players? Well, people have talked about this. I mean, not just the SEC, but the five big conferences. That basically the SEC, uh, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Big 12 would, these five conferences would go off and they would kind of be this in-between ground between college football and pro football, where it would be college kids playing, but they could do whatever they wanted. They could play the kids, they could pay the kids, possibly the kids wouldn't even have to go to school. They could just be representatives of the school. Um, and that's probably going to happen, or some version of this is probably going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years, but it will be very disappointing. I mean, I, I don't, like, I don't, I don't see how that will be an improvement um, outside of the fact that the early season games will be better because, you know, uh, you know, Ohio state can't uh, schedule like the university of Miami, Ohio or whatever and play them. Plus they'd be practicing 12 months a year because they'd be professional athletes. They would, they would, you know, and I think there's a certain kind of person who, uh, who, you know, like a very pro-labor kind of person who, who would like to see this happen because obviously it would increase the likelihood of the players being compensated for the amount of money they're generating. And, and uh, you know, it, it would be sort of less, there'd be less hypocrisy involved. It would be better in every way except for the experience of watching the games. That would be worse. So when you weigh those two things, I always wonder about this. I mean, when you, you look at a problem, and every component of the problem uh, could be remedied. 
But by doing all of those small fixes, the overall sensation or the overall experience weakens. Is it worth doing? This is sort of the problem the NCA has created. Yeah. Well, I, I do wonder if 30 years from now we're going to look back and think it was crazy that everyone was tied to this screwed up CA and that people didn't go out on their own. It would seem like the SEC, who would they join forces with? Let's say two conferences said, screw it, we're out of the NCA. You, you and us, we'll leave. We'll mm-hmm. have a, 24 teams. Who would the SEC do that with? Pac-12, probably. But if, but if they did that, I mean, it's not as though, like, the, the ACC is probably the, the weakest of the five. I mean, the, if, if you, especially if, if you remove the idea of Florida State from the equation, what's left there? Not that great. I mean, Clemson and a few other schools are sort of competitive. But um, those other four conferences, though, they all have some good teams. So if you, if you took those four conferences alone, you would have a, you know, I think the games would probably be watched just as much. Um, it would be very competitive and really interesting. But uh, I, 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 I see that as, I don't know, I, I would, the overall thing, it wouldn't be the same. I mean, I, yeah. I don't, I, I, uh, we'll have the I, randomness don't, I mean, institutions are just kind of generally bad, right? Or if, if you look at them closely enough, I mean, I listened to your podcast yesterday about the NFL. The NFL is a flawed institution. The NCAA is a flawed institution. I mean, these institutions generally, when they get large and wealthy, have problems. But I, I'm able to watch college football and separate it from all of the other things that sort of uh, exist as its superstructure. I just like the game. So the idea that the SEC would secede, um, I, I know that's might seem rational, especially to somebody who doesn't watch a lot of college football, but like, I, I, I would hate that. Would you rather see the SEC secede or the state of Texas secede? Um, well, uh, we need Texas. We need Texas as a state. What, if you could pick a state to secede, what would it be? The, uh, well, the, in, in many ways, the, the, the most logical place to secede would be the city of New York. It's the oh. least like the rest of the country. It's its own island, kind of, you know, but at least Manhattan. Uh, it, it seems as though that that, you know, it, it could exist sort of as a city state. That would, that, I think a lot of people in New York would love that. They don't want to be part of America. I think Florida could secede. It's kind of its own, <laughs> own culture. Yeah, and, and people uh, hate Florida now, like they or they make fun of Florida constantly. Like that, that would be the state it seems like because the weirdest crimes seem to happen there. You know, that's really it. And old people, it's it's the one that definitely battles the most stereotypes now. I feel like, but Texas has its own flag. They could easily just incorporate its own money and and some fences, and they'd be good to go. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Texas could sustain itself with its oil. It would have its yeah. own industry. You know. Um, I, uh, I, did you see the world? Are we done with college football? Cause I wanted to flip to something else. Is it, Oh, I had one more question for you. Okay. Actually, it's a multi-part question. Who's your play? Who's your favorite player of the year? Um, I think the best player I've seen is Amari Cooper, the receiver from Alabama. I think Mariota from Oregon will probably win the Heisman. 
actually literally the best player was Todd Gurley. And I thought it was it would be very interesting if people voted for him for the Heisman as like a protest vote against uh, the way the SEC hand, NCAA handles things. I mean, from a pure like just watching any individual play who's the best player on the field, it probably was Gurley. Um, who's my favorite player? Um, huh. Um, I like the quarterback from Auburn, Marshall. He's fun to watch. A lot of guys. Coach of the year? Coach of the year. Um, Is there anybody, probably anybody Gary out there Patterson this year that's... TCU, TCU's coach, Gary Patterson, probably, because it, it seemed as though a few years ago that they had peaked when Dalton was there and that this was sort of this anomaly that they, you know, they went to the Rose Bowl and I think they beat Wisconsin. And I think they went. They may have even went undefeated that year when there were multiple undefeated teams. I can't recall exactly. But regardless, it seemed like, well, this was their one spike, um, as it so often happens with programs, that they had this period of, you know, like, uh, that, you know, when Nolan Richardson was at Arkansas for basketball or whatever, where they just had this period where they're an elite team and they disappear. But TCU has sort of come back in and now kind of looks like they're always going to be in contention now as long as he's there. What about uh, best uniforms this year? Well, Clemson has the best uniforms, um, okay. but uh, the uh, uh, if we take them out of the equation, um, UCLA has nice uniforms. I mean, you know, they they don't change so much. You know, in college sports, they kind of, unless you're at Oregon or you're at Maryland, where for, for whatever reason Maryland is constantly uh, sort of trying to create some relationship with the U.S. military. So they're always wearing yeah. like camouflaged uniforms, but uh, um, I just I don't like monochromatic uniforms. I like there to be a primary color, a minor color, and white. So like Alabama is too monochromatic for me, and Mississippi State is too monochromatic. Um, I think uh, you know Florida has uh, an okay color scheme, but they don't balance it so well. Um, did I say Old Miss? They have a good combination of colors. Uh, I'm just this was definitely the best, the most fun story of the year while it was going. Because and then it, 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 I don't know. I just enjoyed it. It was it was just fun to have Old Miss be good and the whole thing. And then it just why was that more fun it. than Mississippi State? <laughs> well, what was what was the team that started out well and then the guy got injured and fumbled on the same play where he blew that out was his Ole name. Miss that was against Auburn that was a yeah. and that was kind of I was a, on the Ole Miss bandwagon. Hmm. Well, because you know, know they, they they got beat by LSU in a real low scoring game. LSU, because of where they're at geographically, when they're down a little bit, you know that they, they can't really they can't compete with you know you just you can't lose that many games. But LSU beats Old Miss, and that kind of wrecked their season because then Old Miss lost to Auburn on a kind of a freak play, and it was just all done for them. That LSU is the team I would root for if I cared about college football. It, LSU has great colors. They have great uniforms. I love New Orleans. They I love might have. Colors. I guess. Let me rescind that. They have the best. They have. They have the best non-Clemson uniforms. Um, Les Miles is a fun coach. Like he's like I, yeah. as a casual fan, you must kind of let you know. Now, of course, people are speculating again that he might be in line or a candidate for the Michigan job, which. It seems oh. nuts to me. I don't know why he would want to go to Michigan, um, although it would be a nicer place to live, probably. Um, you know, it's Ann Arbor is a nice town. But 
you know, there's two big jobs right now. The Florida job is open and the Michigan job is open. Um, and Michigan wants Harbaugh. I don't think he'll do it, although he might. But if he doesn't go there, I don't know who they're going to get. Florida apparently wants to hire the coach from Colorado State. He's like the hot guy everyone's after. But I always subconsciously root for Michigan for really dumb reasons. But it's, I always feel like if I did my life over 10 times, one of them would definitely be going to the University of Michigan and like throwing myself into the football and basketball. And yeah, you told me that, that once. Is that because of something Jalen Rose told you? Did he, did he paint a picture of Michigan that made it seem really desirable to you? No, you know, it's really stupid, but it was the big chill. The big chill was on HBO a lot in the mid eighties. Like when I was thinking about college and you know, they, they get together, the friend dies, they're all there at some house for a weekend and the big Michigan games on that weekend. And they're all like, in, and they dress up in the Michigan clothes. And I'm like, Oh, I bet that's what college is like. You go to college and then you graduate and then you get together with your friends and you watch the team after. So, I mean, it's like a total brainwash thing. Was it, but, was it difficult for you to go to Holy Cross knowing that they really had no sports programs? Is that like something on your mind when it was going on? Or, you know, no. Because I, I got to say, I didn't, I didn't think of that when I was going to college. I mean, I didn't think of the sport franchises or franchise programs or whatever when I was doing that. But, I, I, but you must have. No, it was, it was the opposite. When I went to Holy Cross, one of the reasons I went there was because they had great sports. Like they had a basketball tradition and their football team was excellent. Our football team only lost like three or four times when I was they there. They had a great basketball tradition, like with Bob Cousy. They did. And it, it was like. It, it was <laughs> you a, were like, they had some great teams in the early 50s. Yeah, but they made the Ronnie, pa- no, the Ronnie <laughs> Perry team in 79. The Ronnie Perry team made, I think they made the final eight, final eight or final 16, but they had a really good BC versus Holy Cross rivalry, and, but they got rid of scholarships when I was there. And by the time I left, it was like, a, you know, it was a Patriot League school that had no scholarships. Like they just destroyed it. But sports was a big part of that. I don't know if five years later, I don't know if I would have gone there. You're kidding. So, that was, it was that big of a factor in your decision. Yeah, I was that. De- I wanted to go to Georgetown. I didn't get into Georgetown and I'm still kind of secretly devastated by it. I feel like I, I imagine like all the Alonzo morning columns I would have written over the last 20 years, but I had a totally different <laughs> arc. And I dare I to dream. Yeah, I guess. The, U, the Ewing theory would have been totally different. It would have been about how great Patrick Ewing was. I would have oh, been yeah, a totally you, different arc. You would, you would have been there what years? I would have been there 88 to 92. So like when the Princeton game would have been like one of the, most frightening two hours of my life. And yeah. And like, you know. would, would AI have been there at that time or that? Been- no, but I would have loved AI because yeah. we would have gotten them right after I left. I'm, I'm still bitter. That's right. It's it. been like, yeah. Well, yeah. I think everyone has that one school they wish they'd gotten into and they didn't get into. I, I only applied to one college. I was so, I it never occurred to me. I don't, it was so, I, I just came from such a, I guess, isolated place. I was like, Oh, I'll just fill out this form. I didn't even think about it. Well, if you had to do it over again, where would you go? I'd be afraid that if I did something different, my life would turn out differently. That's that you can't, that can't be the answer. Well, but that is the true answer. I mean, because if, if you actually gave me that opportunity, I'd, I'd have two thoughts in my head. One would be like, well, if I have a chance to do my life over, I should do it just because it's such a rare thing. Well, an impossible thing, you know, um, but I would be very nervous about what, you know, what, what if everything about my life is dependent on all these chance events that happened at, U- at the University of North Dakota. And if I went anywhere else, nothing would be the same. I would not be on the phone with you right now. 
I think it ends up being relatively the same no matter where you go. Uh, I don't know. Why would, why would your life experience not dictate the present condition of your life? It would, but I, I think in college, the four years are going to go, well, maybe you're right. Because like I had a professor sophomore year who kicked me in the ass, and, and all of a sudden I started actually applying myself. Maybe I don't meet that professor, and maybe well, I just flounder well, yeah, for four not years just in college. That. Think of think of how much the experiences and the discussions you had with your friends affected who you are. So now you got to swap out all those friends for different people. Is it likely that you would have had the same conversations? Well, some of them you would have, but for the most part, um, it would be like I mean, this is you know in any kind of like Twilight Zone, Black Mirror, Time Machine scenario, you never want to go back and change anything. Maybe you would have got somebody pregnant as a sophomore. And then that mm. you would have need like you would have you would have needed to start making real money, um, and you'd have been like, well, you know what? I better just pursue business, and 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 you would have pursued business, and that's what you'd be doing now. And you'd have this kid who's probably what twenty some years old or whatever. Um, but your relationship to sports would be looking at ESPN like anybody else. <laughs> How would You're you like that? Me. You're well, no, that, that's exactly what would yeah, happen. I, I mean, I, I can't say that's exactly what would have happened, but that's a theoretical possibility of what would have happened. I also think I, I mean, would have been on message boards killing media people. Being just probably, being who knows? Or, yeah. or who knows? Or in some, you know, in some, you know, backwards sort of reality, someone else becomes you. Okay, somebody else sort of fills the, the like the like the, the hole in the culture void I'm filling that you occupied. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially in the '90s, and you would so you'd be watching this person sort of do what they're doing. I wonder how you would feel about that. It's mm. a, it's an intriguing question. I think I would have had my column no matter where I was. I really wanted to have a column. Like I, I had by by the third college newspaper of my freshman year, I had the the sports column. Mm-hmm. So. I, I just would have, I just would have forced that to happen. Now it might've gone differently and people, people at my school really cared about sports. Maybe if you go to a school where they don't care about, it, I don't know, but it, you're right. The friends part is definitely thing. Cause I feel like, especially in college, like some of the friends I had definitely shaped my sense of humor in a lot of ways. So you're right. They, the sliding doors thing doesn't work. Oh, it's, it's, I, I think that if anybody wants to just blow their mind, just think back from the ages of like 16 to 25 and try to remember when you met certain people in your life during that period. And just imagine how easily it would have been not to that where you sat in a given room or what party you chose not to go to, as opposed to the one you did. I just, right. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm always, you know, I, I guess I just, I always, I'm afraid of the future. I realize, And what I'm really afraid of is not what the future might be that somehow whatever it is will be a shift from the present. And I just want to keep the present static. I just want to keep everything as it is right now, all the time, even when it changes and gets better. That's interesting. Well, what you just said about uh, the, the chance of friends like Jacko, who's been on this podcast over a hundred times, my freshman year in college, he was in the room next to me on the left. It was literally the room right next to me. There was a wall between us. And that and that's how we ended up becoming friends. But I could have been put on another hall and maybe I never meet him. And Joe House, who's been on this podcast two hundred times, was nine rooms down to the right. 
So it is funny. Like he, in college, you, you really end up hanging out with the people who are on your hall freshman year. There's just no way around it. And those become your friends for the most part. And you have, I mean, in college, you have more choice. Or in high school, you have less choice. You know? Oh, in so high school, when, yeah, in college, you have no choice you know. in high school. Um, when, hey, uh, when speak- you... Okay. I had a sliding door segue. Okay. Because I'm dying to ask you about this. Did you see Monday night, the World AIDS Day concert, when Chris Martin and <laughs> well, you Bruce Springsteen had to I, sing for you too? I saw about five or ten minutes of it. I saw when Springsteen was was performing with the guys too. I thought it was going to be a bigger deal. And the only person who seemed to care was my friend, Nathan. And we had a whole bunch of emails about it. And then I eventually put Chris Ryan on the emails, hoping Grantland might write something. But I think I'm, I think I might be one of seven people who care, but I, it blew my mind to watch somebody else sing you two songs. And what really staggered me, and I don't know if his mic was off or whatever, but I couldn't believe how bad Chris Martin was singing you two. And Springsteen was just totally, you know, I, he, he's a hundred years old and, and is, I don't know what he's doing from a PED standpoint, but his neck now looks like Brett Favre in the late nineties. But, mm-hmm. um, but he, they picked the wrong songs for him. I don't know if they'd picked the right songs, if it would have made a huge difference, but it really made me appreciate Bono more. And, and as weird as it sounds, cause I think U2 is one of the biggest bands of our lifetime. That I came away from it thinking, wow, am I, did I underrate Bono all these years? Does he have like a better range and a stage presence than maybe I gave him credit for? Because Chris Martin and Springsteen, I would say, are, are two of the biggest singer slash frontmen we've had in the last 40 years. And they came in and, and it literally couldn't handle doing U2 songs. And then I was well, thinking, if Bono did cold, if Bono fronted Coldplay he, and he did a, like three Coldplay songs, I feel like he'd do a really good job. Well, here's here's the two things that I would say. First of all, it's like, regardless of their level of ability, inevitably, vocalists define the sound of a band. So you take a band like Van Halen or whatever, when Gary Sharon is in Van Halen, he is a better technical singer than David Lee Roth. There's nothing David Lee Roth can sing that Gary Sharon cannot, but it doesn't sound right. It, you know, it's like... it. it, it you know, when you, so when you hear Bruce Springsteen singing with you too, it's not even a, a question of whether or not he can hit the notes. It doesn't sound right, um, and that's that. You know, it's, talent's almost a secondary thing. The other thing I would say, just about this whole deal, the idea of Springsteen going on playing with you uh, two. I, I mean, I you know, I, I hate saying this. Like, you know, remember we did a podcast once, and like I had to admit that like college basketball had really kind of gotten bad and was, you know, it's like, I hate to admit this, but like, that's the ultimate proof that rock is receding from the culture because you have mm. these, you have these major artists and they're, uh, you, you have someone singing, fronting a different band, uh, I that, know. you know, uh, and, and it's, but yet look at this, this placement is before a Monday night football game. Uh, it's tied to a charity in some vague way. It's not, a, it's not monetized in any way. So if people want to feel good, they can feel great about it. And, and no one cares. Like it, it actually, in a weird way, seems like a predictable thing. Like if somebody had said this summer, yeah, you know, it's like there's got to be new ways to promote Monday Night Football. I think we should have like major rock bands fronted by other artists. Like, you know, what if we got U2 and Sabano was Bruce Springsteen? People would be like, yeah, that kind of seems how it happens now. 
or like the Super Bowl halftime show. Now it's it's never um, surprising anymore because all of the things that they do, we we now assume that that is just like a platform for a certain kind of pop artist to uh, kind of you know uh, uh, have this platform, you know, this high profile for this in the middle of this event. It's it just it seems as though that uh, that it's hard. Like, it, and the strange thing is, is that in a way, rock music is now everywhere. In a way, it wasn't before. Like, you walk into a store, or you go into a restaurant, or you see a commercial, but uh, it just it doesn't. People don't care anymore. Like, even the rock fans don't really care anymore. Well, yeah, I have a couple thoughts. First of all, Springsteen and and Bono and Chris Martin, I would say, are ten, three of the ten biggest singers of the past thirty five years, and I, I would say Springsteen and Bono are probably in the in the top four or five. And you had basically this roulette situation, and as you said, nobody cared, which I was fascinated by. Um, I was really fascinated. This is what my friend Nathan and I were emailing back and forth about. We couldn't decide whether U2 is a much harder band to cover than maybe we thought. We were trying to think, like, who who could have gone in and, and kind of nailed those songs. Nathan said he thought Queen would have been tougher because Freddie Mercury was just so distinct. Like, how do you just walk into that and do Freddie Mercury? But for, okay, yeah. it made me think, like, did Bono... Did Bono create something with the, with the way he did, you know, different songs and different different inflections and things like that? That kind of isn't replicable. Um, well, okay. First of all, I want to go back and say one thing quick. Coach of the year actually is Jerry Kill from Minnesota. He was okay. the, he did the he did the best coaching job this year. Um, regarding the thing you're saying about Bono, like I, you, what you seem to be sort of you know throwing out there is this idea that that Bono actually uh, has like a specific skill that you did not realize that these other people can't replicate. Um, and I mean, I guess in one respect, that is true. The skill of being himself. I mean, he is himself. He sounds like himself. It, he, it, Bono does not sound like, uh, you know, there was no version of him before him. Um, the, the, the music was written around sort of the way he sings. Uh, there's a, even if you strip, like if, 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 if the words to U2 songs weren't words, if they were just vocal sounds that he was making, uh, that would be essential to the way they are consumed is like the well, way wait, they are. So, so there's three, three different Bono type of songs, right? The first type would be the first couple of years of U2 when just kind of that rebel and just loud and it just much more eighties. And I think that would have been hard for Springsteen or Chris Martin to pull off. Then you have like the where the streets have no names, the the big stadium type of songs, and then you have like the running to stand still one, one tree one tree hill type songs that I actually thought Chris Martin would have been good at. Um, I don't really know what Springsteen could have sung, but the point is like Bono could do all these different things, but I feel like Bono could have come in and sang Bruce Springsteen songs, and it wouldn't have been a disaster. Does that make sense? Well, but do, do, were you? Is your expectation that Springsteen should sing you two songs in a way that that sounds close to the way Bono did them? I mean, I would think the idea is if you take somebody who's not in the band and have them front the band, you're hoping it will sound different. 
You don't want it to sound the way it did. Well, what you what you'd want is you'd want you'd want it to sound different, but in a way that represents the song. I just think they picked the wrong songs. Like I was saying, I actually think they could have picked like "When Love Comes to Town" for Springsteen. Like he could have sang that really well. I think Chris Martin, if they had done uh, "All I Want Is You." I think he would have done a good job with that because that kind of sounds like a Coldplay song. But in general, I was thinking like if there was some sort of concert that was like a roulette concert and the whole premise of the concert was you had like seven of the biggest bands, but the singers just switched bands and they kind of went around and it was like a karaoke type situation. Who would come off the best of all those singers? And I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I I guess I don't either. Like I, I, to me that there was like the whole idea of this was just that we're doing it. Like I, I don't know if that anyone was holding them to a, a very high bar of, of, of you know being great or whatever. I mean, uh... well, let's say in the NBA, okay, if they said, "Hey, for tonight only, LeBron James is going to be on the Phoenix Suns. You can play a game with the Phoenix Suns in their offense." Every basketball film, like, holy sh! This is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see what happens. But in music, as you said, like nobody even cared that 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 World AIDS Day thing was like a blip. It just came and went. Well, yeah, I mean, so so LeBron would play for the Suns, and then would like, would if they win, does LeBron get to take a twelfth of the win back to the Cavs? How how, <laughs> how would this work? What, what what would be like? You're saying that the spectacle of it. Well, it depends. Yeah, I'm just saying Actually, people. That's not you know that's not totally true though because. How interested? Well, you might be a like a like the wrong person to ask about this, but like, how interested do you think most basketball fans are in like USA? Where I think, I think people are interested day to day in basketball way more than I ever expected people would be day to day more interested in in basketball, and I, and I think the internet plays a big part in that, and YouTube clips and all the people that are writing about it, I think the sophistication of the basketball writing is, is the best of all the sports at this point. And then you have YouTube, you have like boards, like so Reddit, you're, you're, you have Twitter. I just think and, it's the most fun f- sport to follow 24 seven. So you think that's why, like, so like when, when, when team USA plays, you think that there's a general heightened interest in basketball and that, and that has made people more interested in the Olympics. Yeah. Because those I think, games aren't very fun to watch. They're kind of terrible think, to watch. With the NBA games? Well, the like like Team USA, like when they play like in the World oh, Cup. Yeah. I think just people are, are, it's the summer and they haven't seen basketball in a while, so they'll watch anything. But I don't, but I don't think the, people do. I don't, I mean, I, 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 I used to, I mean, I don't know if people are as interested in this idea of, of taking somebody out of what, of where they quote unquote really exist. And placing them somewhere else like this, like this idea. Oh, of I, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying they're interested. I'm saying if it happens, you kind of do a double take and you, and you want to see it. I think that's why the NBA All-Star game out of all the All-Star games is the one that actually people watch because they're interested to see these guys be teammates for two hours that aren't normally teammates. How do you feel you about know? crossover episodes on television? Well, remember there was a big phase in the mid-90s where that would happen? 
Um, where, I feel uh, like that that phase kind of comes and goes all the time. I remember it happening once where that was the way you launched a show. You know, like you had you had you know Arnold Drummond go and launch Facts of Life. And then, you know, or right. you had, you, had, you know, the, uh, in the 90s, uh, I'm trying to, you know, I, the 90s was definitely well, the, the decade I watched the least amount of television. So what are you talking about? Like, well, the most famous on? one ever, NBC used to do it all the time. And the most famous one was Clooney, the first season of ER, Clooney and Noah Wiley ended up on Friends for like a double episode. And they weren't even, they're playing doctors, but somehow weren't playing their ER, the ER, ER characters. And ended up like doing a double date with Monica and Rachel. And well, I mean, they couldn't play. I mean, one's a drama and one's a comedy, right? <laughs> so, yeah, but it's like, okay. so they're, they're doctors, but they're not the same doctors, but they're promoting ER. Like, it made no sense. It was like, if they're going to be on, like, make them the actual ER characters. But it, it was on recently, and I was watching it, and I was thinking it, it had to be one of the top 10 most mid-90s moments that, that retroactively you look at, and it just feels like the mid-90s. It's like Clooney with the mid-90s Clooney hair and really young Aniston and really young Courtney Cox and Noah Wiley. And it just feels, I, I, it just kind of brought me back. I felt like it was in a time machine. You know? The strangest one ever. Do you remember the TV show Lou Grant? Yeah. Where they took a character from a comedy show and then moved him from Minneapolis to Los Angeles. And made him a drama. And made him like a like a newspaper editor and was really dramatic. I can't think of any other examples of that. There was that show Trapper John MD. Was that supposed to be the same Trapper John from MASH, or is that just a coincidence? I don't remember that one, but I one of my favorites was St. Elsewhere. They because it was done by the same guy who did White Shadow and Coolidge from the White mm-hmm. Shadow ended up being the janitor in St. Elsewhere, and it was the same character. Yeah, which, well, and there was that one time when the guy who played Salami, salami. and he said like hey and he was like what are you talking about like they like they didn't understand right. yeah greenwald and i did a podcast this week and we were talking about in the walking dead because they've used a couple people who are also on the wire in the walking dead how feasible it would be to just actually have three wire characters show up on the walking dead and like they make some agreement with david simon like hey how much would you want for marlo We'll just give you like a million right now from we get we yeah, get Marlo. Yeah, David Simon would be the worst person to try this. Yeah, he would he would say no. But, I'm <laughs> but, saying, but there are other people hypothetically. Who would, you know, uh, I I mean I I sort of you know I I mean this is something actually I'm, I'm very interested in. I love I love when there are um, uh, large pre-existing other realities with television yeah. shows. The way that, like, okay, like, you know, Happy Days and Laverne Shirley and Mark and Mindy and, like, Joni Love Chachi, they're obviously all happening in the same world. Um, and uh, it's the, uh, I, 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 I always think questions like this are, are fascinating. Like, uh, okay, here's a, here's like kind of a, a, a an example of this. Okay, if, uh, it, uh, let's say, I think of, Okay. Okay. Like Rocky Balboa mm. in uh, in Rocky Three, could he have seen the movie Cobra? Does that movie exist there? So you're talking about two? Wow. They movies have done this. I feel like. 
They've alluded to other movies. Yeah, but this is a movie with the same person. Hmm. Well, you, it would have to be Cobra. You, you, your timeline screwed up. It would have to be Cobra at home watching Rocky Three. But what year did Cobra come out? Here? Cobra was 86. Okay, 86. That was the year we were introduced to uh, Marion okay. Cabretti. Okay, okay, yeah. that's there you go. Sure. Or, um, uh, you know, but, but does do, do movies involving the actor in a film exist in that film? So, like, there's a scene in Desperately Seeking Susan where Madonna is dancing to a Madonna song. What is she actually dancing to? She's dancing to somebody who sounds like somebody she is. I guess. You're, you're making my head hurt. <laughs> it is like, uh, yeah, I mean, like, who would be that? What would be the equivalent of that now? The equivalent of that it now? Be, like, if Kanye was in some action movie and then a Kanye song came on and he was pretending well, like it wasn't if, his song? You know, if, like, in... In uh, in the Britney Spears movie Crossroads, yeah. in that world of Crossroads, is there a new artist named Britney Spears who exists? Could they be driving down the road and could a Britney Spears song come on the radio? Isn't the best example of this the This is the End movie? Uh, you know, I never saw that by chance, weirdly. Those guys, those guys are all themselves in it, and yeah. there's like stuff that you never, you can't even totally tell what's fiction. But and in what's that fact. example, they were all playing themselves, so all their movies do exist. But a couple of the people are total a holes, and it's like, so you're playing an a hole, or you are an a hole, or they think you're like it was this whole weird thing. I guess Curb Your Enthusiasm does that too. Well, yeah, because in Curb Your Enthusiasm, everything that we, because they they rarely use famous actors because that complicates things because half the time yeah. a famous actor is someone you're supposed to recognize and half the time you're not. Well, I thought it was funny. Like there was always some weird line between you're not quite famous enough. So you can actually play a character like Sherry O'Terry was on Curb Enthusiasm. So not quite famous enough to actually be Sherry O'Terry. But Alanis Morris is a character. Was. But Alanis Morris that was famous enough. Yes. But you could make a case more people have probably seen Sherry O'Terry on TV than Alanis Morissette. But no one would say Alanis Morissette is less famous than Sherry O'Terry. No. Yeah. But and and it's so and, and you got and whatever whatever person you pick is the cutoff that kind of dictates everything going forward. Like it would if 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 Sherry O'Terry is on on Curb Your Enthusiasm and she's playing herself because she's that famous. It seems like anybody you'd ever have on that program more famous than her would have to be themselves. What about this? I had a friend once who wrote a book, and then Seth on the OC was reading that book. Mm -hmm. His name was Chuck Klosterman. Oh, yeah. I get where you're going. Yes. You were were in the OC, but you weren't. But you were. Well, no, I exist in that reality. In the the false world of the OC, I am a working writer. So, like in that world, like a, uh, uh, you know, while this, where the kid is reading the book or whatever, where he's reading in his bedroom, like I am off writing in some distant city. I like the idea of that. So, Seth from the OC is one of your biggest fans, even though he doesn't exist. 
Uh, yeah, yes. I mean, in that in that reality, he's the only fan I'm aware of. <laughs> we have to go soon, but I have to ask you about. Uh, I need like your three minute take on Roger Goodell. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> not a very good commissioner. <laughs> he doesn't seem to be doing the job very well. Yeah. Um, it does not seem as though he's going to lose his job, though. Uh, would you agree with that? Until one of the owners turns on him, no. I don't think he loses his job. I mean, I mean he, he works for 32 that. people, and they all seem fine with him. You know, I I, uh, I did a... Uh, I, I, did a Q and A with Adam Silver, and and I guess I heard that uh, was good. I haven't read that yet. I mean, it was for a different publication. I realized, like, but um, uh, one we can of the plug things, the publication. Yeah. It's in GQ. <laughs> uh, it's, a, one it's of, supposedly very good. One of uh, well, it was kind of weird because it was like uh, it was uh, like I wasn't the only person in the room with him, and it was a very limited time, so it almost seemed like. I was like, I don't know, like closing on a house or something. It didn't seem like a real interview um, in a lot of ways. But um, but one thing I kind of wanted to get at, but it just didn't really work out, is this idea is like, who do sports commissioners really work for? I mean, does, does Roger Goodell really work for the owners? Or is the assumption that the owners pick the commissioner and then say, you now sort of work for the good of the game that you work for football now. Um, Like everybody would love if the second answer was the answer, but what is the real answer? Like like, your answer. Yeah. The commissioner works for the owners while pretending that he works for the fans. And I I would say Bud Selig, hundred percent was an owner. Um, Goodell, 100%. You just saw it with all the different stuff he's done. Silver has done the best job of, I, I, I think he's a fan of basketball and he cares what other fans think. And he, and he's trying to make the game better so that it appeals to fans more, but that's still a business decision. If the product's better, the owners make more money. I, see, I don't know if I agree that, that they, that, that they should be working for the fans. I feel like they should be working for the sport and the good of the sport, because what the fans want, I mean, I know that's a common thing now. You see that all the time, whenever there's yeah. any kind of labor dispute, it's like, Oh, but we forget about the fans and the fans pay for everything. And that's true. But you know, a lot of times fans have dumb ideas and that fans, a lot of times what they want is based on a total emotional thing. Um, you know, and, and uh, that they really haven't thought these things through because their relationship to the game is sort of watching it and enjoying it. I think that it, it should be that the person is working for what's best for the sport. Now, if you look at Adam Silver, I feel like that is a good example of that. I really feel like he's a fan of the game of basketball. I mean, I only talked to this guy once. He hasn't had the job that long, but he certainly seems to me like somebody who is uh, that, 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 you know, one of the things in the interviews he talked about is he doesn't like the idea of the, like the Brooklyn Nets, like going over the luxury tax and just buying a bunch of dudes, making their team better. He thinks that's kind of bad for the game, basketball. Um, now, of course, if he's representing the owners, that's not really the, you know, the perception or opinion he's supposed to have. But the thing with Roger Goodell is I feel like it's really hard to argue that his performance has been good for the sport of football. It has been good for the popularity of football in kind of a, 
in a real mass way. Um, I feel like that the, that a lot of the decisions he has made, though, have probably damaged the way football is perceived by sort of intellectual people, maybe forever now. Um, yeah. But certainly, I don't see how it's good for the game itself. And in fact, his job doesn't even seem that close to to the, the game of football. Like, I don't feel like a lot of what he does uh, is is uh, is involved with like the product itself. Well, Adam's a good comparison. Cause I, I think Adam's a terrific commissioner and I've known him for a while. I, I try not to be biased with it. I've, I've, I've gone after the NBA a few times over the last few years, most recently with the tanking stuff. But, you know, I think Adam incorporates how he feels the fans feel and also how he can make the sport better and more appealing to fans more than any other commissioner right now. But at the same time, you know, they had a lockout in 2011. They lost 16 games. They, they, they did it under the pretense of all these teams were allegedly losing money and they needed to change the salary structure and all this stuff. And then they changed the salary structure. They, they basically put guns to the player's head, the players folded. Well, and you know, it, the resulting salary structure was incredible for them. And now it's the most profitable sport it, it's ever been by far because they no, did that lockout. And was I, that in the fans' best interest? No. I, I've noticed something that's been happening with uh, sports in general that has, has sort of kind of went along with the, like, I think the rise kind of of social media and sort of a different kind of voice to be involved. I think that there's probably more kind of outspoken kind of lefty voices now than there used to be. No question. Um, but what has, what has really happened is uh, I feel like a, a dangerous move away from the understanding that professional sports are unique professions and that we can't sort of look at these things the way we look at any other job. And I feel like a lot of people who are interested in labor are kind of trying to do that. Um, you know, there was those recent kind of controversial statements uh, uh, by, uh, she's like the, the woman who's the lawyer now who's heading up, you know what I'm talking about? Michelle uh, Roberts, yeah. Yes, yes. You know, and, and she made kind of these kind of bombastic statements that I think a lot of people were like, it's about time somebody said this. And I and I like the fact that she said this. I think that she sounds like seems like a really interesting person. But she's talking. You know, she says like her argument is that well, basketball only exists because of the players. Nobody would not watch basketball if an owner disappeared or any of this. But that's not really how this works. It's not like it's it's what people love. They they never think of it this way. But if people love the NBA, what they really love is the mechanism of the sport seeing what they like on television in this structured way. Like, I like, I don't know how you're supposed to, uh, I mean, it's not like a normal business. And that's when we talk about Goodell too, it's like, we're looking at his job performance. I think sometimes we look at it like this is like a normal job. Um, and it, it's just, it's so unlike any other kind of CEO of an operation. Um, right. I, I listened to your podcast yesterday. It's interesting about like how, I guess, you know, I, I, it is crazy that he's making $44 million and will often say that like, well, I'm kind of figuring this out as I go. I mean, I suppose you could, someone could say like, well, anybody can say that they want to get better and that's what you're supposed to do. But it does not seem as though he is comfortable with this position. 
I can't, remember, I can't remember a, a leader apologizing more than him and, and telling people that he'll get this and he's going to get better at this. And it's like, we're in year eight, you know, at some point you are who you are. I think. Also, but, have you, have you ever seen a scenario where uh, the sort of the public relations and the coverage around the event has been this negative? And yet, the popularity of the actual thing does not seem to be changing. I know. Like, I mean, there are there are unlimited stories now. I'm sure if we went on the internet right now, there were probably five stories today about like concussion. Okay, this concussion story with this guy from Ohio State. Have you did you follow this oh, at yeah. all? I've been following. Okay, like this seems like a pretty insane story that this guy killed himself and was like. It's it basically his family says like it's because of concussions, you know, um, like that. This just happens all the time now, and and so, uh, and you see people expressing ideas like I can't watch football anymore, or we as society must step away from this, but it's not happening at all. Like it's not happening at all. This, this, I would guess that the that depending on who plays. If if it say let's say it would be New England and Green Bay would play in the Super Bowl, um, I would suspect it would be the highest ratings ever this year. I agree. Or certainly, well, live, live rates for everything are just going up. But you're yeah. right. It's I mean, it's, I watch it's, it's, I watch the dang game differently, but I still watch all the games. Well, you know, and I and I had written, but I wrote about this a while ago. But I think you know, normally when something is really controversial. And, and that the, there's a, that there's this media scrutiny about the impact of something. It's tied into that thing's popularity. Like you know, using like the 1980s as an example, like when Tipper Gore was trying to to label records, and she said like, "Oh, these Wasp records and these Motley Crue records and these Prince records, like like they're really dangerous." That controversy was actually sort of spurring the popularity of those things. The people who were into that liked the idea that this controversy was happening. But football's different in this way, in that no one likes this controversy. Nobody's excited about the, the, the premise that football is extra dangerous now. It's almost as if they've just siloed these two ideas off and let them both just shoot to the sky. Like we will have, there is no limit to the amount that we can talk about how bad football is. And there's also no limit to how much we can watch it. And those things have no relationship. I can't, I can't think of any corollary phenomenon like this. well and then two other things like you know when we we're 25 years ago ronnie lott's patrolling the safety for san francisco and just this legend oh don't go over the middle with him he'll knock you out you know it's like he was like uh like patrick swayze in roadhouse or something and now you can't like that part of the game is just gone like the intimidation the physicality and i think Part of me wonders if some of the players don't really like that. I think these guys, it's such a macho sport. I think these guys like being out there and, and knocking heads. I think in a lot of Whoa. ways, that's how they grew up. It's in their DNA. They've been doing it in football for 20 years, 25 years, well, 30 yeah, years. And now are, they're being told just, not to do it. The, 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 number kind of, the problems here are just limitless. Okay, first of all, Ronnie Lott's a great example. Ronnie Lott loses his finger in a football game. Yeah. At the time that happened... That was universally seen as a reflection of Ronnie Lott's greatness. How tough he was. If that happened this weekend, the it would be basically like, this is how sick football is. Yeah, the guy cut, guys the guy lose his finger off. 
on the field and, and choose to have them cut off or whatever. Like there, there's, a, there's, I can, there's three guys I can think of right now who would lose their mind in glee almost over pointing out how perverse this would seem. And yet, I, it, that would not that, that doesn't have any kind of real impact. The thing about sports in general that I sometimes think is that not just football, football is just sort of the beginning of this. Sports do reflect certain things about society that over time we're trying to sort of remove from our belief system that, you know, that, that there's certain things about the way, you know, raising kids or, 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 uh, like how you should, you know, listen to authority figures and institutions and all that. Like these things are trying to sort of be removed and sports remind us that they're still true. Like, you know, it's really weird if, if you become a, like a high school football coach or a high school basketball coach, you can have some success just by being insane. Like if you make your high school basketball team play just, you know, if you can get them, if you can essentially question their manhood or do all these terrible things we'd never want to do and get them to play like the, the, the passing lanes and just play like with, you know, just throw, put their hearts into everything and all, you'll have some success. And we would like to believe that that's not true. Or that like, if you make your football team so physical that maybe they go beyond what the other team is willing to do, we want to believe that that will not work. And yet sometimes it does. And that's real troubling. Well, all right. I have a couple of thoughts here. What if, let's say the, let's say the Ravens. What if they said, you know what? We're a physical team. That's who we are. If we're going to, we're going to hit people going over the middle. If it gets suspended, so be it. And they kind of became the wrestling heels of this whole thing. Technically, mm-hmm. they could do it, right? What would the rules be? They, so a safety gets suspended for a game. He comes back. But a, as a competitive advantage, it would exist. It People would. thinking, oh, crap, this is the team I can't go over the middle against. And, and, and we don't, like, we hate to believe that that is true. That these really kind of reactionary um, things, like, we, we just, the idea of that, we, we, want, we want the reality to be that uh, people who adopt that mindset uh, will fail, that it will not work. And yet it kind of does. So if let's say the Ravens did do this, the Ravens decide basically that, that they, um, um, they are, they're, they're going to play, they're gonna, their secondary is going to operate the way it did in the 1980s or whatever. By the way, Seattle, 75% did this last year. That they was did. one of the reasons they, they beat them. And, and, although they're, they're a little different. They're, their thinking seems to be, um, not that we're necessarily gonna, you know, we're gonna punish guys, but we are going to hold dudes because they can't call holding every play. And we're gonna be and physical as hell. Yeah. And yeah, and, and it, um, we're pushing the rules. And that worked. And I think that, yeah. that I think if there is animosity toward Seattle from the other teams in the NFL, that's what it is. It's this idea that they're kind of saying, um, we're going to force the referee to beat us. But they're going to have to call uh, illegal contact and holding and interference on just every pass play. And if they don't, and they're not going to do that because the game becomes unwatchable if they do. Um, I mean, I, you see this in basketball too. It's like Houston real physical Rockets. teams know yeah. that if they, you know, that they can't, they can't all, you know, that, that they're not going to call a call. They're not going to call a follow on every possession. It's not going to happen. You know what else is interesting? Hockey has managed to adapt. Like hockey had just as big of a concussion problem as football did and just as many cheap shots and all that stuff. 
And hockey pretty quickly managed to adapt around all that stuff. They got rid of all the cheap shots. You're not allowed to hit somebody when he's not looking in the middle of the ice. You're not allowed to hit somebody behind, hit their heads in the boards. The penalties are much worse for that. I go to a lot of hockey games. You, you, you really never see those hits that make you go, oh, my God. Oh, that guy got hurt. But in football, because of the speed of the game and the size of the guys, we still have the hits. We don't have as many of them as, as we had, but we still have a bunch of them. If you watch a three-hour football game, you're going to see two guys get decked. And there's just no way around it. And I don't see how they ever totally clean it up from the game, but it's, it's, it's and, you in know, the and back hockey, of your head every time you watch. Hockey is smart in the sense that they have kept their culture kind of insular. Like the only people who are following hockey are hockey fans. They have very yeah. few casual fans. But the NFL's entire mindset has been to branch out to the most casual fan, to get the person who doesn't even watch the games to play fantasy football. Let's make football involved in their life. Let's have the NFL Network, which is great, but like the NFL Network is almost like a version of Fox News for football people, where we'll just like here are the talking points to talk about during the week. Here is what to be, you know, here is what you're supposed to believe about this team and this guy, or whatever. And by doing so, they have all these people who are just kind of peripherally connected. And when something like this happens, when there's these concussions and these, you know, and they see, you know, they see a, a you know, a, you know. A, you know, a, a, a real sports feature on like, uh, you know, on, on aging NFL football players who are now comatose essentially in these old folks right. homes. Like it goes like it really bothers them. And they're like, well, I, I, I didn't think that this is what I was getting into, but like hockey doesn't do that. Hockey. I mean, hockey's attendance is actually better than the NBA's attendance. As crazy as that sounds, but one of the things you talk about that Fox news NFL network thing, the funniest channel for that is the Lakers channel. Can you get the Lakers channel where you are? You probably I don't, can't. I don't get the Lakers channel. The Lakers channel is hilarious. It's like the Pravda of basketball channels. James Worthy actually seriously said he thought Kobe Bryant was an MVP candidate on Sunday night after their game. It's not <laughs> ironic at all. Like he's like, Kobe's moved in the MVP discussion. <laughs> they come in after these games. The Lakers have the most depressing situation in the league. And they and they talk about it as like every game it might turn around. It's a really well done channel with really you know they spend money in the shows and they spend money in the set and all that. It's just funny, but um, yeah, I don't know where I don't know what's going to happen with football. We you and I had lunch a couple weeks ago and we were talking about it and you know you just don't know. It, it seems people seem to think one thing's going to happen. Well, but- I mean. It- and it's all these speculative things. Like obviously, the the the, the most common speculation is that well, you know, it's going to start. It's going to start with high school. It's going to start with people not letting their kids play high school football, and 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 when yeah. you know, and that's um, and yet, um, very often I hear those statements made by people who probably were never going to have a kid playing football anyways. Or, the, or, or, right. or like they wouldn't, you know, I mean, not, not, not always. I mean, you hear it more and more from, from people I know who I think would love to have their kids play football. And they're like, ah, I, just, I don't really know or not, but here, okay, here's, I'll just, I'll be quick about this. I was thinking about this, this idea of letting your kids play football. Okay. Would you, uh, you know, somebody might say to you, like, would you let your son play football? And be a tough question. Would you let, what if your daughter said to you, you know what I want to do, dad? I want to join the climbing club in town where we do rock climbing 
And I'm going to spend my high school years and my college years getting better at rock climbing and climbing in general. And then when I'm in my early 20s, in my mid-20s, um, I'm going to try to scale Everest or K2 or any of these major mountains. I want to be 70% chance. Yeah. 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 What, what would you say to that? Because here's the deal. It's like, I think someone has died climbing Everest every year since 1977. Um, yeah. I, I, I could be wrong about that, but I remember seeing that statistic. It's like hundreds of people have done this. Okay. Now, granted, we're not, they're not exactly the same because mountain climbing is not a spectator sport. You know, so it's not like you're, it's not like we're, we're rewarding these mountain climbers with, with, uh, undue financial compensation to do this thing they don't want to do. If she just wanted to do that, what would you say? Well, if she's an adult, you can't do anything. No, think... but she's like, she wants to start training for this in her team. She basically wants to have the experience of a high school football player and a college football player, but her eight years are going to be spent getting better at climbing, understand, mm. take, you know, learning about uh, ropes and, and knots and, and all the things you need to do. And then when she gets into her 20s, this is what she's going to try to pursue. She's going to try to pursue uh, a, a rarefied, clearly dangerous activity. I feel like most people would say, you know what? You got to do it if that's what you love, right? Yeah. But, but if it was football, was about, you wouldn't say it. If, it was about, if I had asked you that question about your kid playing football, I think you'd be pretty hesitant. The problem and with I, football is if you get a concussion before you're like 16, it's really bad for you. Yeah, so your brain, like that's the side of a cliff. This, true, but it's so much easier to to I think hit your head and get a concussion in football than it would be if you were properly trained in rock climbing to then fall off a cliff. But her goal is to go all the way. Her goal is to climb the big mountains, the ones where it is not uncommon to lose, uh, you know, a nose or fingers or whatever. But that, that, that happens. You know, um, listen, it, my, my only goal is to, is to keep her from dating a guy with a Trans Am. And if, and if that happens, anything else is gravy. So if she wants to climb rocks, that's fine. <laughs> Trans Am or Corvette, you're out. She's out. She's got to move out of the house. Hey, last question, because we got to go. If OJ Simpson came out right now and said I had nine concussions when I played and and, uh, and I've known that I've been having issues for 25 years. I've been blacking out since 1987. Um, I'm donating my brain to science when I die because I know I have advanced CTE. And I did kill Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. But it's because I had nine concussions during the 1970s and 1980s. What happens? Well, that's a pretty fascinating hypothetical, I have to say. Um, I feel as though there would be virtually no sympathy for him while he was alive, but the moment he dies and his skull is split open and his brain is removed and the research seems to indicate that actually he had the brain of a man who should have been 170 years old with schizophrenia yeah. or something, all of a sudden O.J. Simpson's murder would become a metaphor for the dangers of football. Isn't and that unbelievable? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's just how it would, it would, it would become this thing that people would say, if you don't think that, you know, if you think these people are just hurting themselves, look at this situation. The biggest murder of the end of the 20th century was probably in part done by concussions. And while this was happening, uh, people would get the news uh, from, you know, uh, some guy in ESPN. 
previewing the upcoming game. Like, like we, we, this would be this huge story, and, and it would be it would totally change his perception, and it would be brought to us while people watched football. I'm trying to think if there's been a bigger American moment slash event slash trial, whatever you want to say, scandal, anything well, like the JFK assassination. Let's say they unsealed some new records, and it came out that Lyndon Johnson killed JFK. That would be amazing and would totally transform that story. But yeah, well, not really I mean, con- not conceivable. The biggest one would be the like if if nine eleven being an inside job. That would change the perception of history and the perception yeah. of America and America's own understanding of itself forever. I guess that yeah, would but be that's the not biggest. conceivable though. I, I I just don't see that being realistic. But OJ having CTE is realistic. OJ Yes was a running back in the 60s and 70s during an era when, you know, the legacy of Jim Brown, you know, you, you need to tackle me with four guys. I mean, I, you know? I, you're totally right. I mean, if there's a Ray Carruth situation that happened now, wouldn't, if you were the defense attorney, wouldn't this be part of your, uh, of your defense? If you, yeah. if you were representing a pro football player in a case, in a capital murder case, I think that the first thing you would do is we're going to find an expert who's going to uh, verify that you're well, you mentally go from dead. saying, wow, you're a psychopath to, uh, seems like a psychopath, but maybe there's some real reasons behind it. Like it all of a sudden it changes the narrative. Yeah. They, like you, you, this game made you into a psychopath. Who knows? Not, anyway, so. it's a, it's an interesting. What if we have to go Chuck Klosterman, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, we'll bet. talk to you. Talk to you uh, when let's let's do this again when there's two teams left in college football. Okay. All right. Happy holidays. See you around. Thank you for downloading the BS report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at Pod Center at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.